0: Welcome to CAE Pilot Podcast, a podcast that brings together aviation professionals to discuss life as a pilot, training and career advice. You can find us at cae.com forward slash pilot dash podcast, or subscribe to our show on your audio podcasting platform of choice. You can also find our video podcast on our YouTube channel. At the heart of every pilot's decision to launch in an aviation career is the love of flying. Pilots are passionate about flying, being in the air, in control of an amazing machine, and watching the world from above. In the next series of podcasts, we're going to talk to pilots who have dream jobs. They could be considered adventurous pilots who fly in challenging conditions, often in remote areas, performing atypical operations. This is the real deal, and considered by many commercial pilots around the world to be dream and exciting jobs. We're gonna talk over the next few weeks to an air ambulance pilot in French Polynesia, a bush pilot for a charity organization in Papua New Guinea, and a barefoot pilot from the Maldives. But today we're thrilled to welcome a ferry pilot who delivers small aircraft everywhere in the world. You probably know him from the show, Dangerous Flights. It's my pleasure to welcome Kerry McCauley to CAE Pilot Podcast. How's it going, Kerry? It's great, Patrick. So where are you today? I'm in Menominee, Wisconsin, just uh, east of Minneapolis. We're used to seeing you. Uh, we're used to seeing you flying around, so we're thrilled that uh, that we're able to catch up with you today. Yeah. So tell us, a little, we always ask people who come on the podcast how they got their start in flying, and um, you know what led them to the point where they are today. So maybe you could. Tell us a little bit. I read your resume before. It's quite impressive. So maybe you could tell us a bit about it. Well, I grew up in Minnesota, and I was always fascinated by flying. My
1: uncle was a Navy carrier pilot, and he kind of inspired me. I started uh, my aviation career at 17 when I joined the Minnesota National Guard as a UH-1H Huey helicopter crew chief, Riding in the back of helicopters. That was a lot of fun. And it wasn't long after that I started taking flying lessons because I wanted to drive. I got my license. I also at that same time became a skydiver. And so I decided a great way to build ours was to start flying skydivers.
0: And uh, we were talking about your skydiving just before we started. How many jumps are you at now? I'm currently at about 20,000 jumps. And so do you jump every day?
1: Pretty much. uh, In the summer mostly. I, I'll do on a busy day, I'll do between 15 and 20 skydives. Wow. Can you, can you do jumps in the winter? You can. It's just really cold. and <laughs> I prefer to do jumps in the winter in Arizona.
0: Yeah, I completely understand. Um, for you, of course, you're well known through the show as being um, a ferry pilot. And I think a lot of people might not completely understand either exactly what it is or how you get into it. So maybe you want to talk just a little bit about what you do as your occupation and how you got into it. Well, a ferry pilot is somebody
1: who delivers airplanes to buyers all over the world. Some of the easier trips would be just across the state or around the United States or in various countries. My specialty is being an international ferry pilot. Say, if somebody buys an airplane that's in Ohio and they needed to go to Australia, they need to find somebody dumb enough to fly it over the ocean. That's where I come in.
0: <laughs> so, obviously, this is uh, out of the ordinary, right? You're not, uh, you're not just doing one layover to gas up to get from uh, Minnesota to Australia. Tell us a little bit about sort of the craziness of you know, flying a Cessna uh, internationally.
1: Well, taking an airplane, literally halfway across the planet is quite a challenge you know these planes were never designed for such long distances so you have to really do a lot of planning beforehand plus be able to uh roll with the punches basically what we do with a lot of the planes is we will put ferry tanks in them we'll take all the seats out we'll put them in the back of the airplane and put big metal gas tanks inside the cabin with a, with us and that allows us to cross the ocean if we need to, if we're going you know, across the North Atlantic or the Pacific. And then each leg, you're just going as far as your fuel and uh, your endurance takes you. Stop for the night, gas up, go again, keep doing it till you accomplish the mission. Typically, a, a trip to, say, from the United States to Europe will take you about a week round trip. Middle East to Asia, about a week and a half.
0: Wow. That's, uh, I think we're just used to within what 15 hours, you can pretty much be as far away as you can think of. So it's, uh, it's crazy to think about doing that in such a small space. What are the, what are the challenges? Um, you know, I I would imagine just sitting there for so long must get difficult after a while.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the biggest challenges is simply staying awake, especially when you're traveling eastbound. When you're going eastbound, you're going against the time zones, So you're typically losing two, three, maybe four hours just on time zones on a typical flight on a day. So you take off super early in the morning, usually leaving before any of the restaurants are open so you never get breakfast. Fly for eight to ten hours, 12 to 15 sometimes. Get to your destination very late. Try to find a hotel, maybe get four or five hours of sleep get back in the plane and do it again. Do that for a week straight and uh, the sleep sleep deprivation starts to get to you. So that's one of the big challenges.
0: So for a commercial pilot who's used to, you know, their meals being delivered, the the, the van waiting for them at the airport, the warm bed at the other end of that van, quite a difference.
1: Yeah, this is a, a big difference, a big difference in experience. If you want coffee,
0: you have to bring it along. (laughs) (laughs) And when it comes to planning, I think, um, you know, certainly I'm surprised that you don't make your hotel arrangements as an example ahead of time. But I guess that's also because you don't always know exactly where you're going to end up.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, You don't know how long it's going to take. Plus you you really never know for sure where you're going to go. I mean, you'll have a plan laid out before you take the trip, but that always changes. <laughs> if you get weather problems, and you'll have to or you'll have to deviate around something. I mean, you might go to completely different countries that you didn't plan on. Sometimes you have overflight problems. Sometimes uh, visa problems. You know, if you like in Russia, your visa is only good for three or four days. If you don't get there in time, your visa might expire. You might have to apply for another one. Maybe go around it. Going around Russia is kind of hard. It's big.
0: And I think I've seen in episodes where you've had to fly around certain countries in Africa as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, either fly around the countries if you can't get the overflight permits, or a couple of times in my, uh, let's call it distant past, I might have turned the transponder off and flown low and not told anybody I was crossing their country.
0: Oh, don't worry. We won't tell anybody either. I was here. <laughs> and um, is there a special type of license that's required to do this type of flying? You don't need any special license to ferry fly, but
1: back uh, 20 or so years ago, the Canadian government used to require a a single engine waiver to cross the North Atlantic because they were having to go out and rescue so many pilots, and it was costing them, literally cost them a lot of money, and they weren't having very much success at rescuing them anyway because the pilots were all dying. (laughs) So you'd have to go, you'd have to prove yourself you know, make a couple of trips and then you go get tested from the Canadian government and get a, a single engine waiver to fly to the North Atlantic. That waiver is no longer in effect and now pretty much anybody can do it with a commercial license and small brain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you've said that twice now, but I think that there's probably a lot of people listening to us who are saying, this is cool, right? Like if you're, if you're not used to it, You know, but I I suspect people don't understand just how dangerous it is.
1: Yeah, it it is actually pretty dangerous, especially crossing the North Atlantic and the Pacific. On average, they lose about three pilots, three fire pilots over the North Atlantic every year. That's kind of actually gotten a little bit better, mostly because not as many planes are being delivered. Um, But you know, when you're flying over those vast distances of ocean, you're out of range of any rescue. I mean, the only thing that can pick you up is a helicopter or a boat. Helicopters have a range of maybe 150 miles out to sea. Uh, that's really stretching it. And after, the, after you're more than that distance away from land, the only thing that can get you is a boat, and boats are slow. So yeah. if you go into the water, you're going to be there for a while.
0: And um, how, do you, how do you get your jobs? Like how do, you, how do you get your assignments? What's the whole structure behind that?
1: When I was first a ferry pilot, I got hired by Orient Air, a company out of St. Paul, Minnesota. And I, was, I worked exclusively for them for a long time. You know, I was one of, their, one of their full-time ferry pilots. They would get hired by other companies or people to ferry their planes, and they would hand out the, the trips to their pilots. Once I stopped working for them, I kind of became a freelancer. Um, Basically, just have a website, put yourself out there, and people would use the word of mouth will get you the jobs. There, there are some ferry companies out there that hire other pilots, but there's not too many any, anymore. Most of, most of the companies are single pilot to single operator operations.
0: And so what does a typical um, schedule look like for you in, say, a month?
1: These days, I'm, I'm not doing as much ferry flying as I used to. Um, I've kind of really run, up, run through my, my luck bag, as it were, so <laughs> trying to trying to, to tone back a little bit. Um, mostly what I'm doing these days is flying skydivers, and I fly corporate jets out of uh, Wisconsin, but I'll still take three or four trips a year. Usually if it's a, a really cool plane that I want to fly that I haven't flown before or going to a really great, great destination that I'd like to see. I love going, going to Greece and Italy and uh, South America.
0: It strikes me as interesting, though, that you really run the whole gamut from flying uh, skydivers to flying business jets. It, it almost seems like the you know, op- polar opposites. It must play with you a little bit in terms of, okay, who do I have to be today? <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, just, I just love aviation. I love being in the sky. I love skydiving, flying and small tail draggers with no radios, business jets. You know, pretty much anything. If it gets me off the ground, I'm a happy man.
0: <laughs> um, so what would you say are the essential qualities f- for a ferry pilot?
1: Oh, a ferry pilot needs to be calm under pressure and self-reliant. You're going to be faced with a lot of challenges that you can't anticipate. And there's not going to be anybody there to rely on. You know, you don't have any support. There's nobody you can call. You're going to be by yourself. And if you start panicking in dangerous situations or get flustered, um, even on the ground, I mean, some of the biggest challenges are navigating foreign airports and figuring out how to go through the maze of paperwork and permits and everything else. But, uh, But the biggest challenges definitely are in the air. And when you develop a problem out over the middle of the ocean, it's going to be up to you to solve it.
0: And so that, that comes down to just absolute experience.
1: Experience and a lot of luck, but mostly it's experience. You know, I, I have a good grounding in uh, maintenance. I don't actually have my AMP, but I've done pretty much everything on airplanes. I've owned airplanes for 35 years, so I've done a lot of my own maintenance, um, helped mechanics a lot. And I've had to do some, do some work on planes in flight to keep things going. That always makes it interesting.
0: (laughs) Repairing as you fly, what would you say is the most unusual or strange aircraft you ferried? I guess the most unusual one that I ferried is
1: a Piper Aerostar. It's a small twin-engine plane, six-passenger, fastest piston twin ever built. And I love that plane. That thing was uh, fast and pressurized, fully de-iced. Although being fully de-iced led me to getting a, a little bit over my head in an icing situation over the Alps, but uh, I managed to make it
0: across. Looks like you enjoyed it, though.
1: I did. Um, yeah, I kind of laugh at the situations after the fact, but I love being in emergency situations. I, it's kind of what I live for. I love, I love it when my parachute malfunctions and I have to cut away and use my reserve. I come down laughing and I'll adrenaline up, and same thing in the air. I don't seek out emergency situations, but in my line of work, they happen with uh, relative
0: frequency. <laughs> Would you consider yourself a daredevil?
1: I don't know about daredevil. Um, I just don't like things boring. I like to uh, go out and push the envelope. You know, I, like, I like to do unusual things, and I like to be challenged.
0: And when you're, um, I've seen episodes of the show, and I don't know if it was you in particular, where, you know, they're, they're got the oxygen masks on and, and all that. Do you always fly with someone on a ferry flight?
1: No. Um, actually, most of the time we, I fly single pilot. I actually prefer it that way. I mean, it's two pilots in a hard IFR con- environment is kind of handy, but I like being by myself because then I don't have to argue with anybody about decisions that I make. Everything is up to me, and, and I get to make the, do whatever I want to do without any uh, having to take a vote or anything like that.
0: Now, what would you say to um, – we all know that now there's, a, there's a, sadly a surplus of pilots, right? A lot of pilots sitting at home, and they're thinking about different careers and all that. If I've been an airline pilot – And now I'm starting to think, okay, maybe this ferry thing is for me. What would you say, what what adaptation or would you tell that pilot he would have to make? Well, going from the airline
1: pilot environment to the ferry flying environment is going to be a big shock. I mean, in the airlines, you you get to benefit from a huge support system. I mean, they tell you exactly what route you're going to take, exactly what time you're going to take off. They make the weather calls for you for the most part. Um, Everything's pretty much laid out for you. All the paperwork, everything that's handed to you, and you just get to do the fun part of flying the airplane. As a ferry pilot, it's the exact opposite. A customer will tell you, I just bought this airplane. It's in Cairo. And I needed to get to Florida by next week. Can you do that? Sure. And he says, great, I'll meet you in Florida. And that's the extent of your, your direction. The rest is up
0: to you. And I think that's true of like general and private aviation. It's actually run. It's, it's, it's exactly the opposite to the way an airline runs, right? It's the customer decides when they leave, when the aircraft has to be there, etc. So I think that's the that's probably the biggest challenge for someone making the switch from an airline job to a more general aviation kind of job. Yep, for sure. Um, what would you say is the most uh, the scariest moment you've had in your career?
1: The single scariest moment I had was probably getting hit by lightning in a small single single engine plane out over the middle middle of the Atlantic. That kind of woke me up. I also lost an engine once while penetrating a line of thunderstorms over Maine and uh, had to dead stick my way through the line of thunderstorms and find my way back to an airport. So that was kind of exciting as well.
0: And I, I have in my notes here something about an electrical failure over the Sahara.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a uh, that was a long night. Basically, what had happened was I'd left Agadir, Morocco at night, flying down the bulge of Africa to the Ivory Coast. And when I left Morocco, they closed the airport behind me because there was a sandstorm coming in. About three hours into the trip, uh, an RBL came on. That's really bad light, <laughs> a warning light. <like laughs> um, low voltage, and I'd lost my alternator. And so, Basically, for the rest of the night, which was probably eight or nine, nine hours long, I had to fly by flashlight, which was quite challenging. No autopilot, um, no GPS, no, no anything. The, the scariest part of the night was changing batteries in the flashlight, because this was kind of early in my career, and I foolishly only had one flashlight. So changing the batteries was kind of nerve-wracking, because I knew if I screwed it up and dropped part of it or dropped the batteries, I probably wasn't going to make it, because... If you can't see your instruments, you're going to spin in. But I managed to get through till dawn and find the airport.
0: This might sound like a silly question, but what do you carry with you? Because you're talking about multiple flashlights. You're talking about doing repairs in flight. What do you have in your bag, let's say, that the typical pilot might not have? Well, when I first started, which is,
1: you know... 30 years ago, um, we didn't have any of the new fancy GPSs or anything. So my standard stuff is I would have a flashlight, some basic tools, um, an ELT, an emergency locator, transponder. We'd carry uh, whatever survival gear you'd need for whatever parts of the world you're going to be flying over. Right. Which would also, a lot of times, be kind of a kind of a big survival kit. Well, not big, but have to be varied because you'd cover northern Canada forest, then the Arctic over Greenland, then the desert over Africa, finally ending up over the jungle. And, of course, there's the ocean in the middle of it. So you need to be prepared for any emergency situation. Uh, Before we had electronic flight bags, you'd have a whole box of maps and approach plates. Most of them were out of date, but at least you had something. A lot of snacks, a couple of twelve packs of uh, diet soda for the caffeine, and lots of Ziploc bags for the aftermath of the diet sodas.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just have this vision of like you know Indiana Jones jumping on an airplane and going for it. It's uh, it's what? hilarious. And you recently flew six airplanes literally around the world. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, I was lucky enough to get hired to help some of the pilots and owners of six Epic airplanes. And Epic is a experimental airplane that uh, single-engine, turbine, kind of like a PC-12 a Pilatus, mm-hmm. very fast, sleek, sexy airplane, really fun to fly. Um, these pilots had gotten together with the, the company that produces them and decided they were going to fly them around the world. It was an amazing trip. I uh, couldn't have been luckier to get on that trip because at each stop, the organizers of the trip found the coolest thing they could find in that location for us to do. Oh, wow. Like We went on a boat cruising around the glaciers in Greenland. We went on glider rides in Czechoslovakia. We got to go on the 747 simulators in Russia, go for just, just anything you could think of, they had it all planned out for us. Plus, we stayed at the best hotels, ate at the best restaurants, and we started in Oshkosh and then finished a month and a half later in Oshkosh during the EAA convention to a big fanfare and cheering crowds and a lot of happy
0: people. That was a fun trip. So that sounds like it's a real dream job. Yeah, for sure. And um, tell us about, uh, you know, you, you, you know one of the most famous approaches. You've done it many times in St. Barts. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I love the St. Barts approach. I really love short fields. Um, the airport that I fly skydivers out in Wisconsin is a very short field with obstacles on either end. And the St. Bart's approach is very similar. It's really short. It's got a hill. There's a road on one end and the ocean on the other. And you pretty much have to nail that, that landing or you're going around or going in the drink. I loved it. It's, you, just, you come in over the road. It's, people are always stopped at the end of the road. And guys on motorcycles will duck their heads down <laughs> so you don't hit them. And... Uh, come on down, it's, it, it's challenging landing that direction because the, the, it's down downslope of the runway. So the runway is kind of falling away from you. So it's tough to get the plane down. If you don't get the plane down in the first third of the runway, you better go around because you're probably not going to get it stopped. There's a lot of cool videos of guys not quite getting it stopped in time and uh, ended up in the, in the drink, a lot, of, a lot of skid marks on that runway. <laughs>
0: It's funny. uh, Halifax Airport has a down slope runway as well, and it's really it's such an odd thing to uh, to see or to experience, I guess. Um, where would you say your your favorite place you've been is?
1: Oh boy, you know I love Greenland. The southern tip of Greenland is just gorgeous. the fjords there are always full of icebergs. The mountains at the southern tip are very sharp, and the ice cap oozes off you know, into the fjords, so there's hundreds of glaciers there spitting out icebergs over into the crystal blue water. It's, it's just a magical place. Unless, of course, the weather's cruddy, and then it's terrifying because getting into the air,
0: <laughs> Greenland is, is pretty dicey. And where would you, Okay, well, you've done the one extreme. What would you say your favorite warm destination is? Favorite warm destination? It's kind of a toss-up between Greece and uh, the Caribbean.
1: Uh, I like the Caribbean. I, I guess I'd have to say Greece just because I've been to the Caribbean so much. It's closer to home. I've flown there quite a bit. Uh, Greece is pretty nice. I love going to Corfu and some of the, uh, some of the other islands down there. Beautiful.
0: And do you often sit there looking out the window saying, I can't believe someone pays me to do this?
1: Every day. Every day. It's, fairy flying is just an incredible adventure and the sights you see and the people that you meet are are just amazing. One of the best things about ferry flying is once you get to the destination, the, the, the buyers, the people you delivered the plane to treat you like a conquering hero because you just flew their plane halfway around the world over the Atlantic and you delivered their brand new toy to them. And they're usually very grateful. They take you out to dinner. You get to meet their family. You just have a great time. And there's no other place, there's no other job in the world where you get to experience a close personal relationship with the locals like that. I mean, if you go on vacation, you meet people at the hotel, you meet people at the restaurant. And that's kind of about it. When you're ferry flying, you stop at small airports, you get to meet pilots, maybe you get held over for a day because of weather or maintenance, and you meet some of the guys at the airport, and they'll take you home and treat you to, to dinner. And uh,
0: just meeting the people of the world is an amazing experience. And I guess you keep in touch with a lot of people too.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's great because a lot of a lot of the places that I'll go I'll stop to stop at repeatedly Right and some friends in Greenland, Iceland Scotland, you know, if you're there a lot you get to know the people
0: We always do a Mythbusters segment So we're gonna uh, we will bust or confirm a few myths about fairy flying, okay? so um, Ferry pilots are a reckless breed who give little consideration to safety. Yes and no. (laughs) You need to be a little bit reckless
1: at least to start, to even get up the courage or the guts or whatever you want to call it to fly a small single-engine airplane over the ocean. But if you don't start taking safety seriously quickly, you're not going to live very long.
0: And ferry planes, um, sorry, ferrying planes for a living, is a pretty lonely lifestyle.
1: That's a yes and no as well. I mean, a lot of times on these trips, you're gone for a week, week and a half at a time, and you're not meeting anybody. Sometimes you're just in the plane by yourself all day. You hop in a cab, you go to the hotel, spend the night by yourself, back in the plane, do it again and again and again. But you're usually a fair amount of time in between trips where you get to spend time with family and your friends. So again, yes and no. <laughs> um,
0: you need to have an adventurous heart to be a ferry pilot. I think you've proven that that's the case.
1: I think that's a definite requirement because otherwise, why wouldn't you, why would you do it? It doesn't pay that well. I mean, it's okay, but to risk your life, just to bring somebody plane. You need to have more than money as your goal. You need to want the adventure. You need to want to be out there doing that. Otherwise, there's easier ways to make a living.
0: And ferrying, uh, a ferry pil- family life and ferrying aircraft don't go together.
1: Not true. <laughs> <laughs> I raised a family while ferry flying. I mean, I did take a few years off when the kids were were young, um, mostly because of the danger aspect of it. I didn't really want my kids to grow up without a father, but once they got old enough and I looked like I'd done a reasonably good job of raising them, I started flying again, because it's in my blood. I just couldn't.
0: <laughs> And do any of them fly?
1: Yep, uh, neither of them actually have their license yet, although they're both very close, but they're both professional skydivers. They're both uh, instructors, Work at my skydiving school. My daughter's also a wind tunnel instructor, which is pretty great. I'm super proud of them, and and unfortunately, they're both becoming better skydivers than
0: I am. <laughs> Takes a big man to admit that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Clearly, it's in the blood, though, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're great. They're great skydivers. Were your we were, you, were either of your parents uh, pilots?
1: My dad's a pilot. Uh, yeah. My mom, no. My dad uh, is building his own airplane right now, a KR Super Two, and He's been flying for many years. And like I mentioned, my uncle, who's, who I'm named after, who's Carrie McCauley. And yeah. he's, uh, like I said, he was a Navy carrier pilot. So, wow. A lot of aviation in the family.
0: As you probably know, um, one of the reasons that uh, we're doing this podcast and why we've just launched um, Airside, which is our pilot community, is to really surround pilots who right now um, are facing a hard time. Let's face it. You know, um, airlines, uh, are uh, the schedules are down to almost nothing still, and uh, fleets are parked. Um, But what words of encouragement would you have for someone who's either started their pilot training or is waiting for the next job? What would you say to them?
1: The aviation industry just goes in cycles. I mean, I've been in it for 35 years, and I've seen furloughs and i've seen hiring crazes and it just it just goes it it comes around so this will pass people are going to want to start flying in you have to be optimistic and stay in the game if you want to make it as a professional pilot
0: and um and i think you're a good example of what you do in between right like you know there's no ferry flying right now so you're doing a lot of the skydiving type of flying do you suggest that people stay in the industry in the meantime you know, you, you have to do what you
1: have to do to stay alive. You know, you got to pay the bills, but I would say stay in it. You know, it's, it's going to come around. There's a lot of guys that are taking early retirement and when they start flying again, they're going to need pilots.
0: The world always needs pilots. So, you know, I have to ask this question, right? Where do you go for your training? Well, I got my uh, initial
1: type rating on the Citation 650 at the CAE Training Center in Dallas.
0: And I understand you're going back there soon?
1: Yep. I should be going back for recurrency training probably about November, December, something like that.
0: Well, we're looking forward to seeing you. Another thing that we want to talk about, of course, is you have a book, Ferry Pilot, The Nine, Nine Lives Over the North Atlantic. Tell us a bit about it. Well, I've been... Uh, Lucky enough or unlucky
1: enough to have a lot of very close calls over the years in my fairy flying experience, and I've been boring my friends and family with the stories for years and years. And they finally wanted to shut me up and say, "Just write a book, and we'll read about it." So, so I did. Uh, it did take me ten years because I'm a slow writer, <laughs> <laughs> but I finally got it done, and it's out on Amazon right now,
0: and it's doing really well. Awesome. So that again, it's Ferry Pilot, Nine Lives Over the North Atlantic by Kerry McCauley. Check it out. Well, Kerry, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I'd like to remind everyone, as always, to go visit airside.aero, um, our pilot community, lots of great resources there for pilots. You know, we've got our resume builder, there's a jobs board there, lots of great stuff. Check it out. Kerry, um, we invite you to check it out as well. And um, thank you very much. All right. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Take care. CAE Pilot Podcast is brought to you by CAE, the global leader in training for the civil aviation, defense and security, and healthcare markets. For more information, check out CAE.com.